Welcome to episode 42 of the Antinu Energy Transition podcast. Today it's about the German, Norwegian, hydrogen and carbon collaboration. And the guest of this episode today is Ott Evan Jakobsen, who's the project responsible from the Norwegian side and he works at Gasco. So let's go. The plan for the hydrogen value chain is to have feasibility results towards the summer this year uh, with a startup target 2030. Before we begin, one more information, and that is that this podcast is brought to you by NETI, which is the Antinu Energy Transition Initiative. On the 21st of March, we at NETI, we are going to have our big yearly conference with over 600 people here in Trondheim. And amongst the speakers are going to be Maro Sefkovic, who is the vice president of the European Commission, the CEO of Sintef, Alexandra Beck-Jörf. And we're also going to have state secretary of the Ministry of Petroleum and Energy, Andreas Bieland Eriksson. So if you want to join us for that conference, please feel very welcome to come to Trondheim. You can stay the whole week because there's a lot of discussions going on, a lot of other events, and one of them is going to be the Green Energy Shifters Network event, and that's a network that I started building because I feel that our generation or the young generation of young professionals who want to accelerate the energy transition in Norway doesn't really have a place to meet, so we're going to have the first face-to-face -face meeting of the Green Energy Shifters Network on the 20th of March in the afternoon. On the conference, you will get to see two people that we will mention quite a lot in this episode. And that is the CEO of Gasco, which is yeah one of the main gas players in Norway. And then the CEO of Dena, which is the German energy agency, because Gasco and Dena are making um, the preparations for the German-Norwegian hydrogen and CO2 collaboration that we're going to talk about in this episode. So if you're interested in learning about gas and seeing these people that we are talking about, then also please make sure to come to the conference. That will be really amazing. I would love to have you there and get to know you. And then we'll talk about how we can accelerate this energy transition together faster. All information you need you will find in the show notes so all links are in the show notes yeah but that's it now so let's get started with this episode welcome everyone to episode 42 of the Antinu energy transition podcast and today it's about the german norwegian hydrogen and co2 collaboration and most of you know that robert habeck right after the russian invasion into ukraine came to norway uh, to get into discussions and negotiations in order to diversify Germany's gas imports. Then that was last year. And back then, it was also agreed that Norway and Germany would intensify their collaboration when it comes to hydrogen and to carbon. And currently, the German side and the Norwegian side are working on a feasibility study on how that actually could look like, on how hydrogen can be brought from Norway to Germany and how CO2 can be exported from Germany to Norway to then be sequestrated and stored here. And I'm very happy to talk about this topic because I think it is it is very important for both countries and it's also very high on the political agenda currently also when it comes to energy security on the European continent. And I'm very happy to have someone here who's really knowledgeable about this process. And he's a senior advisor within business development at Gasco. And what Gasco is, he's going to tell you in a second. But Gasco is the part, the Norwegian part that actually works on this feasibility study and is uh, has the task from the Norwegian government to facilitate this process and he's also uh, and he's specifically the project manager for the German Norwegian Energy Corporation when it comes to hydrogen and to CO2 so welcome to the podcast Ott even Jakobsen thank you and uh, first uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, to talk about uh, this topic so I'm looking forward to it 
No, I'm, I'm very happy that you're actually joining us and to enlighten us a little bit with what's going on, because obviously we can read a lot of uh, information about this on the media, but it's really interesting to have some insights. So before we just jump in right into what hydrogen and why CO2 and everything else, or even would you like to give us a very short introduction to who you are and um, yeah, w what Gasco actually does and what Gasco is? Yeah, first of all, as you said, uh, working as a senior advisor uh, as uh, within business development and uh, in my current role, uh, project manager for for this uh, interesting topic uh, concerning the uh, energy cooperation between uh, Germany and Norway um, related to hydrogen and CO2. So, um, in other words, uh, basically, I feel privileged to get the opportunity to work with such an exciting topic and take part in the kind of the early phases of a possible future value chain. So, um, but I, I guess we could quickly start with uh, just kind of the ABCs of gas coal. No, please go ahead. Yeah. And um, for those who doesn't know, uh, gas coal was established in, in the late uh, December of 2000. Uh, basically, it took over the operatorship of uh, of all the gas uh, infrastructure from the, in, in the Norwegian continental shelf in 2002, 1st of January. Today, Gasco, um, checking the, the web, um, has 352 employees. Um, so uh, most of them work at the head office uh, at Bygnes in Canada. Uh, but we also have uh, employees at the machining terminals in, in Europe and, and UK. Gasco is a state-owned company. Um, kind of uh, managed by the uh, Ministry of Petroleum and Energy. Um, we are kind of a company which is a neutral and independent uh, operator of the integrated gas uh, transport system from, from NCS. What is NCS? Oh, sorry, uh, Norwegian Continental Shelf. Yeah, you said, yeah, yeah, actually you said that, but I, I didn't hear the abbreviation yet. But yeah, okay, the Norwegian Continental Shelf, NCS. <laughs> Yeah, um, and regarding the, the kind of gas infrastructure, the transportation system, um, close to 9,000 kilometers of pipelines tie into all major gas producing fields. Um, and we have three major processing plants in Norway and, and also uh, a couple of riser uh, platforms. Uh, the receiving terminals in four European countries, they are kind of the, the exit point of the Norwegian infrastructure, moving energy into Europe. Yeah. And Gasco is pretty much the prime operator when it comes to everything gas related, isn't it? In Norway. Basically, yeah, that, that's it. And that's probably also the reason why the Norwegian government made Gasco the key company or organization to facilitate this um, German-Norwegian energy cooperation. Yeah, basically we have two main roles. Uh, um, in the, in this setup, and that's being kind of the operator of the infrastructure, but also kind of facilitate the the future uh, development of the infrastructure and and the administration of the capacity uh, of the system. Yes. Um, yeah. So so currently, like maybe you give us an idea, like how it, how it actually works currently. Like so currently. There's a lot of gas fields next to all the oil fields in, in Norway. And they, as you just said, um, the gas is transported mainly to Norwegian mainland, then it's being processed and then it's sent on to the European partner countries. Um, we're going to talk about hydrogen today. So like, is hydrogen already 
in the game? Is, is hydrogen being produced at scale already in Norway? Or is that a very nascent, uh, are we there in a very nascent phase? In the early stages, it's not a part of the, uh, the, uh, the transportation uh, as we speak today. Because if you look at the system, it's kind of a fully integrated system um, where, where you can basically, for, for a field that is connected to the infrastructure, can actually deliver gas volumes to each and every of the exit points. So it's fully flexible in, in, in those terms. And what we transport in the pipeline is what we call sales gas, and, and it contains mostly methane. Can, uh, in addition to that, we have the heavier product products and um, gels as such as ethane, propane, etc., and are taken out um, at the processing plants and and shipped uh, to the market. To whatever. What what are these ones being used for? Like I, I understand methane is being sent to you know to heat houses in Germany, for example. But what is happening with propane and and the other uh, the other gases? Yes, uh, they are kind of shipped out by, by ships from the, the uh, gas processing plants to, to the to different markets. But going by ship, they can can be in transport to to to, to the whole world, basically, but in the industry purpose and, and yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about CO two and let's talk about uh, hydrogen uh, or even. So can you maybe you know paint the big picture for us? What why? Why is hydrogen sometimes hailed as, as, a, as a great solution for the future? And why is, for example, this collaboration between Norway and Germany not just focusing on hydrogen, but also focusing on, on carbon and carbon sequestration? Like, please paint us the big picture. Why, why is this important and why is this happening right now? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it an attempt, uh, at least. <laughs> and, and if we look at, if we start at, at, kind of at the point that as Norway, also Europe, they need energy. Um, and to this extent, Gasco will contribute to that uh, in securing energy supply from the, the NCS through the infrastructure and through the system and kind of also the, kind of the reliability of the system. Um, but looking into kind of the energy transition, that could trigger changes that may affect the infrastructure, creating a need for integration between different sectors and new value chains such as hydrogen, ammonia, CCS uh, could kind of arise from, from that. That is kind of the, the, the starting point. And, and given the situation with our, kind of, with, with our climate challenge and the capacity of low carbon energy and renewable energy, one of the tasks is then or would then be to, to test or verify the, the viability of a hydrogen and CO2 value chain. And I think specifically that is what lies within the German Norwegian Energy Corporation. When um, the state leaders of both Germany and, and Norway in already in January last year kind of came out uh, stating that this is something that we need, uh, this is something that we are going to reinforce. And they followed up that kind of statement in January of, of this year saying that this is being reinforced, this is uh, con being continued, and we are specifically studying the, a hydrogen value chain and a CO2 uh, value chain uh, between the two countries. Where, where we kind of see that the, the aim of this is to increase the majority of the value chains 
it's it's basically kind of doing a feasibility study to to see if this is uh, something that can be uh, be built. And this is where kind of Gasco and our uh, German uh, friends Dana uh, got the task to to facilitate and and lead this one. Mm. So so when we think about hydrogen, most usage probably in the future will be with industrial applications there's also obviously talk about hydrogen cars there's also be that it can be used for heating um but it looks as like what i hear what i read is that you know the mobile um, transport is at least personal transport is going to be electric and also heating it could be quite expensive but definitely it's going to be used in industrial um applications and we will see wherever else it's going to need it's going to be needed in the future so where how how would this look like like you're doing a feasibility study um, and it goes towards central europe whatever it's going to be used then therefore but like how, in the, in the future how could how could how could such a project really look like look like because we we just had this invasion of the russians in ukraine and for example there were pipelines also blown up which were gas pipelines from from russia so like you know like how's this going to look like what are maybe the challenges that we that that you know actors from both countries might be in, in yeah, be, um, being faced with. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, it's a huge topic that you open up there. Well, that kind of in short, security of supply, security of energy is kind of a topic that's been kind of um, we've been we've not been quite aware of kind of the the risks involved, and then then uh, now the situation has kind of given us a, a view of uh, a worst case scenario. So I think mm. importance of security is uh, is a high focus. And, and for Gasco, um, it is uh, about, about a high focus where we, uh, we see, see from, from the results from last year, we basically managed to, to, uh, to deliver energy to Europe. Which I think Europe is very grateful for. It's like, you know, for like this pipeline, suddenly Russia was not exporting anything anymore. And then Central Europe was really being squeezed. And I think there that Norway could step up and produce so much more or deliver so much more. It was like very much a savior also for a lot of, uh, yeah, for society really. Yeah. To, and to put some figures on it, uh, the last year we, uh, we were close to 1300 terawatt hours of energy supplied. Uh, and and um, just um, it, towards Germany, we had over ten percent increase of uh, from the year before. So so uh, I think that is also one of the, the reasons why kind of the the relationship between Norway and Europe, Germany and Norway, uh, has been reinforced uh, in in this context as well. Mm. Or even so so, Gasco and. And um, and Dana, you just mentioned it's like uh, I think the official name is the German Energy Agency. I think Deutsche Energieagentur. Um, you are doing this facility study. Can you can you maybe walk us through how how does how does that process work? How often do you meet? Is it like are other companies involved? For example, for technical analysis and all that. Like, give us an idea of how how such a corporation actually looks like. And um, who's involved and what are challenges maybe? And is there someone that has a great idea and then you, it's being checked? Or is it like, you know, 30 ideas and then all of them are being looked at? Like, can you walk us a bit through through the process, how, how such a corporation actually looks like from the inside? Yeah, 
I'll, I'll put some kind of uh, overview of it. And, and first of all, as, as I said, it's kind of a joint feasibility study. So basically, what we, ta- we take all these kind of um, value chain business case ideas and and put them in a kind of a, a, a total value chain from A to B. Uh, and then there are two kind of main groupings, and then it's the hydrogen value chain and it's the CO2 value chain. And the way it's organized is that we use kind of the main building blocks as for instance, using hydrogen as an example, you have production, you have transport, and you have the storage and consume. Well, um, you, basically on the production side, that's something that the industry in Norway is studying. Uh, offshore transport is something that kind of uh, is part of the gas uh, responsibility. Onshore transport, storage and consume is a part of the German responsibility. And on, on the CO2, it's basically the same, but kind of the, the, the flow is switched around. So you have the yeah. gap and then transport and storage in, in the Norwegian continental shelf. Um, this work is kind of framed up and organized in a way that it's being performed by the industry for the industry. So, and the industrial companies uh, are participating. For instance, on production, there are um, production initiatives, project studies ongoing. Large scale is kind of a keyword because you need scalability to get the marginal cost on an acceptable level. On the offshore transport of hydrogen, we have uh, um, formed a sponsor group which is participating. And on the German side, uh, the German TSOs are organized through their kind of SNB. Oliver, what is what does TSO stand for? Yeah, it's a transmission system operator. And they are organized uh, in, in kind of their, uh, their own organization, SNB Gas, which is kind of the uh, responsibility of the onshore transport system. A study in Germany, uh, and then DNI is responsible for the kind of storage and consume uh, parts of the scope. In addition to that, as you can probably uh, understand, there are commercial agreements that needs to be done or agreed on between producer and consumer. So there are bilateral discussions, dialogue between producing companies and consumers which is kind of following the basement of uh, the maturing of this value chain. Uh, as I said, large scale is uh, one of the important factors. And then also the demand and and timing of demand would, would set the pace for, uh, for when this kind of uh, value chain is uh, being uh, um, built. Mm. One of these bilateral agreements that are being shaped right now, one of them is between Equinor and RWI, isn't it? So Equinor would be, if if I understand correctly, Equinor would be the one that provides the hydrogen and RWI is the one buying it and then selling it on and creating the infrastructure and selling it on to the consumers. Is that correct? Yeah, basically uh, Equinor and RWE has, has kind of a joint uh, partnership where they they are kind of building on the the framing of this uh, uh, work that we're talking about, where they 
um, start with um, building uh, gas power plants that can be switched over to hydrogen uh, in the future, and and but also kind of the the carbon capture uh, part of that. So, uh, and as you understand, uh, uh, Equinor and other kind of major players are uh, part of the uh, the survey that we're talking about. Mm, and that's not just on the hydrogen side, but there's also bilateral conversations, I guess, on the the carbon c carbon capture carbon capture route. Yeah, as um, communicated uh, August last year, uh, Equinor and Winters uh, there uh, have a have a um, agreement or a, a um, cooperation on the, the CO2 value chain. Mm. So there's a lot of lot of initiatives and studies going on. And you at Gasco and Adena, you kind of like you orchestrate all these all these processes. Um, who talks to whom and how that uh, ties in into the whole overall arching process. Yeah, basically we facilitate and administrate and, and kind of lead the the overarching. Um, joint feasibility and there are uh, separate studies project developments under this uh, umbrella yeah so th this sounds you know infrastructure projects and you you mentioned large-scale infrastructure projects as this one um they're always challenging and they're large and there's a lot of people involved and there's maybe things that have never been technically done or at least not at that scale so just doing such a feasibility study sounds actually yeah sounds as a as a, as a major project so i hear that the feasibility study should be maybe done within the next couple of months like in spring is 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 that a, like is that a timeline that is feasible because <laughs> it sounds as if you know you could use two or three years to do such a such a study because it's yeah so big the infrastructure that done on the other side there's a lot of political pressure on it that it needs to be done now because we need to secure um, yeah hydrogen for the future for central europe and we need to get rid of the cu2 and the continental shelf in norway is one of these opportunities yeah i think um on, on kind of a, the timeline um the, the plan for the hydrogen value chain is to have feasibility results uh towards the summer this year uh with a startup target uh 2030. so that's just kind of a, a, the main the main plan and and when we talk about what we're doing now we do a feasibility study to basically test or verify the the business case uh robustness and viability mm. uh, the next step of this would be then uh, a concept uh study phase uh, as as the next step in the project maturing um yeah so we would have the feasibility study then we have the concept phase and then maybe um tenders are being given out to particular companies to provide specific services or technical consultancy whatever that is or really build it themselves and then you said 2030 so we would probably have four years to build this roundabout i'm just guessing um when we are in 2030 there will not or like at least that's what what i hear uh, in the media and also in scientific reports is that from the like hydrogen is one opportunity to have low carbon energy available which is very much needed when we think about the climate threat that we're all facing um but in the beginning it seems as if we're not going to have like 
clean like we're gonna have hydrogen but it's not green hydrogen but blue hydrogen or and can you that's why the question is like can you maybe give us a bit idea of the different types of hydrogen that are being talked about in the media and then maybe give us an idea um what what kind of hydrogen will be transported um down down from the north to the south yeah ju just kind of put it in in context when we talk about the um the energy we in what we have as a base case is a capacity of a false uh million ton of yes um which is kind of uh, would be 18 gigawatts uh, or um, 130 plus minus terawatt uh, hours and depending on the, the purity of the hydrogen but kind of to keep it simple it, it would be then uh, approximately 10% of the energy transported to, to Europe last year mm -hmm. uh, but when I say kind of the, the 4 mi uh, million that there's kind of the, the capacity and in 2030 we we start with uh, uh, approximately four gigawatts uh, and then we would have a kind of a stepwise ramp up and this is kind of connected to uh, supply and demand uh, the maturity of the market and and the, the kind of the, the framing of the, the value chain and um, and and when we talk about um, what I would what I would like to um, categorize hydrogen is it's uh, it's low carbon hydrogen and renewable hydrogen because when we talk about energy it all comes up and and something the, the footprint the carbon footprint and and low carbon hydrogen formed from Norwegian natural gas has a low carbon footprint. Renewable hydrogen produced from either uh, sun, wind, or a kind of renewable power sources is um, is kind of it doesn't fill up the, the, the energy need because the scalability currently isn't big enough. So, so when we talk about the the uh, hydrogen value chain in the German Norwegian context, it starts with the low carbon hydrogen. But and very important is that we facilitate or uh, include options for, to tie in the renewable hydrogen energy sources. So when when we look at the the hydrogen value chain from a that perspective we are kind of colorblind because you want to build the infrastructure so that hydrogen can be transported down south but you don't really mind what what sources that hydrogen comes from yeah we 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 are also focusing on the source but uh, in terms of the um which you would say the color of the hydrogen is not important when it's been transformed to hydrogen. But we are uh, focused on the and the CO2 footprint. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think in general, that's a bit of a, you know, what kind of color of hydrogen will it be? That's maybe that's been a topic that's been discussed a little bit. Um, 
And the question is also then, where would the green hydrogen, if we think about green hydrogen, come from? Because also in Norway, it's not that easy to build up a lot of renewable energy infrastructure. I think there's probably a lot of potential in the North Sea for offshore wind. Um, but we've seen also in Norway quite a lot of, you know, and you know that better than I do, I guess, like social acceptance problems when it comes to onshore wind, when it comes to large utility, solar, um, um, yeah, large utility scale solar. Yeah, and that's an exciting topic that is going to be developed as we speak. So, so kind of a future will will tell uh, what about and that can happen basically. Mm. So, even when we when we think about this this big this big project now, I feel that uh, that there is more focus on hydrogen than it is actually on carbon capture, which I think is a bit sad. Or like maybe maybe you see it differently because you're right in the process itself. Um, but there is still so much industrial capacity in Central Europe that produces a lot of CO2, for example, when we think about cement production plants. Um, because of, this, of the processes itself, uh, it's really hard to electrify them. And that's why it's not, e not, it's not possible to run them with um, renewable electricity, which many other uh, industrial uh, processes are uh, able to be run on. So there will be a lot of CO2 also being transported uh, up north. Um, where will that CO2 be yeah, brought to. Um, and I would like to talk to you about a little bit that there's actually quite a lot of experience with carbon capture and storage in Norway. And like sometimes in, in, the, in Central Europe, that's not really, um, that, that knowledge is not really available. But here it's been, there have been like 15 years of experience with, for example, the Sleipner, uh, Sleipner project and the longship and so on. So can you maybe talk a little bit about the, the uh, not the hydrogen part, but the CO2 capture part of this cooperation? Yeah, kind of. First of all, the the the, um, the framing or the setup of the uh, the feasibility study of the CO two value chain is we are kind of in the starting phases of that. So it's being framed up and, and as we speak. But when we look at the, the CO two value chain, I I think it's you're, you're quite correct. Um, when we, if we are going to reach the targets, we need to also uh, look into uh, carbon capture, transport, and storage. And uh, on the Norwegian continental shelf, we've done this for years. Slate uh, is one example. And I think uh, a part of the, the study now is to basically mature the industry uh, and and test out the viability of uh, of a CO two value chain. Um, where you basically capture CO2 from from the industry that is hard to electrify, which we call hard to abate, and then transport that uh, either through ship pipelines up to uh, the Norwegian continental shelf and store it in in the in the ground, and and this is where Norway is in a position because we've thus issued uh, CO2 storage licenses. We have the uh, already being uh, being matured and bent. Um But there are also um, a couple of other uh, CO2 storage licenses uh, with Equinor Smear here. We have the, the, the Luna and there are also a fifth and a sixth license being processed as we speak. And so that means we're not going to use the fields that are currently being operated, but there will there there are a lot of fields, new fields being opened or new opportunities being opened to sequestrate and store 
store the, the no areas. Mm. When when you think about the the time horizon for that part of the project, we just heard about the hydrogen that you know in a in a perfect world, and if all goes well, this might be set up by 2030. When we think about this the the, the this car this carbon route, um, what's your You know, what's your in a perfect world? When would we have that, and how long is that? Will that take? Is that the same horizon? Does it is it shorter because the technology is maybe also available, or is it going to take a bit of longer time? What's what's your idea? What's your what's your experience? What's your take? I guess, and the starting point is uh, you will get it when you have the supply and demand uh, kind of in place. Mm. Uh, um, you you could envision that it's being aligned with the hydrogen value chain. Um, Because you have the, the CCS part of the hydrogen production also needing a, a CCS uh, uh, value chain. Uh, but it, from from our point of view, it's, it's a bit too early to say because we are in, in the midst of the kind of startup phase of the feasibility study. Mm. That's, that, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So maybe, maybe, maybe just like, a little bit of finishing up this like a little bit of of, of what we can expect in you know the next couple of months you mentioned you mentioned that maybe this feasibility study will be available in summer but can you maybe you know give us like a bit more um like a last idea of like what what we can what we can expect kind of to happen and you know maybe there's actually people who want to get engaged and like think that this is a valuable project and like maybe they want to work with this so like like these the, the the young people or the professionals that are listening to this podcast now if if we you know if we think that this is important and i think it's very important to get this done and started what can normal people maybe contribute and and what are the next steps that are being taken yeah basically what you're asking is is it going to happen uh no i'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen like also talking to you and no there's so much political pressure on this or even isn't it it needs it like it's like it needs to happen like it's very likely that it's going to happen Yeah, but but anyway, I think the kind of the the input to the feasibility study is kind of related to um, the work that we're actually doing and we have studied for for a few years. And is it technically feasible? Mm. Type of developments within te technology do we need? Um, cost. Uh, it's kind of a major issue. Um, And the maturity and the timing of the market, and it's one thing to have the technical feasibility to produce and transport. It's one thing to have natural gas to kind of as an input uh, factor, uh, but it, it it will not happen until kind of the the market commits to consume. So, going hand in hand. Together with the industry is uh, important when we talk about both the producer and the consumer uh, part of things. Mm. So, and this is uh, exactly what we are we are trying to uh, to figure out. Yeah, and I guess since it's again it's a infrastructure project, and with infrastructure, very often there is this this chicken and egg problem. And I, I kind of hear it through the lines here as well. You say we can build this if there is demand and if there is supply. Um, though don't like so that also would mean that we probably need policy in place that for example creates demand or makes sure that the, the supply supply is there is that something that you see happening right now or like what are the things that you think are necessary to speed up this process so that it actually takes place from policymakers from you know whoever is involved in the process 
I think what we're doing in in, in Norway uh, has given a signal to Europe, and and the EU has kind of given their own signals and kind of pushing this from a political standpoint. Um, our climate kind of challenge is something that we need to relate to. Um, and and you also asked the question, how can we contribute as kind of the young and up and growing kind of taking over this um, this um, scenario in the future? Uh, hmm. What we see now is that we need uh, competence. We need people, the young people, kind of uh, willing to to dig into this and kind of be the the future experts. Uh, in, in this topic so um and would you say that's pretty much you know it sounds like a very technological project so you do you envision all the tech people or do you also envision people who are like you know work with social acceptance topics or with policy topics um so is it across the board or do you see something very specifically that is needed i, I think i think uh, across the board is, is kind of a, a fair statement uh but we see in kind of the early phases uh having um technical Engineers uh, is is also crucial, uh, especially when when we look into kind of the technology development and, and research part of things. Mm. And there's still some stuff that is not being figured out. It's that's at, le at least that that's how it sounds a bit as if there's technologies that are still being in development and that have not been tested so far. And that's why we call it a, a feasibility study. So so uh, yes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, or even if people are interested in follow up on this project, where where are maybe some resources that one can find? Is there something on the Gasco pages? Is there I don't know? Is there a specific web page? Is there a LinkedIn uh, account? How, how can people f f uh, keep up with this project if they're interested in in learning and continue being in, um, yeah knowledgeable about it? Yeah, basically the the, the headlines are all of the place uh, uh, in the media on this, uh, and I think. Uh, Based on the communications from from both Germany and Norway, uh, there are going to be even more uh, information. Uh, Gasco.no is uh, is one source. Um, I, th I think um, there were also um, a few uh, interesting kind of uh, gatherings or conferences that that put this topic on the agenda uh, as a source of information. <laughs> Okay, Odevin, so um, thanks for making time today and uh, giving us all this yeah, valuable information about the, the German-Norwegian Energy Corporation. And all the best of luck in the feasibility study and that it all works well and that we'll have infrastructure in place by 2030 or you know, in that ballpark that creates opportunity for low-carbon uh, energy supply towards Europe and obviously uh, carbon capture and storage uh, opportunities up here in Norway. So thanks for joining me today and all the best of luck to you, Odevin. Take care. Thank you very much. And uh, again, a pleasure to speak to you.